What happens if we embrace combat as the focus of the role-playing game? Is it possible to make fighting enjoyable? And what difference does it make to use miniatures and maps? Hey, it's Jay, and this is Roleplay Rescue. In 1994, I began working for premier tabletop wargames company, Games Workshop. I started out as a sales assistant, quickly graduated to being a store manager, and eventually ended up working at the Nottingham HQ as part of the marketing team. It is in fact the reason we moved to Nottingham way back in 1998. Some of the most cherished memories I have from that period were being able to work alongside storied game designers such as Jervis Johnson, Rick Priestley, Gav Thorpe, Andy Chambers, and Alessio Cavatore. Around the turn of the century, while I was working on Games Day in the UK, I was lucky enough to be invited to get involved in playtesting several projects. The one I want to mention today is Inquisitor. But first, I wanted to mention two additional matters. The first regarding call-ins to the show, and the second is an update from episode 10, that hex-crawling vibe. I love call-ins to the show. They're a big part of what I like about podcasting, and I especially love answering questions, although I don't get as many questions as I might enjoy. Recent feedback from listeners does, however, indicate that some of the longer comments and feedback I receive is not to everyone's taste. To try and address this, going forward, I aim to release some bonus episodes containing nothing but call-ins and my responses to them on a periodic basis, depending, of course, on listeners calling in. I will be including one or two shorter messages, especially questions relating to previous episodes in the regular shows, but the plan is to move the majority of call-ins to special bonus shows. My hope is that, given a few weeks following an episode's release, call-in bonus shows can present a thematic response from you guys. I hope that makes sense, and I hope you'll continue to call in. And yes, there is a short call-in later in this episode. In episode 10 of this season, entitled That Hexcrawling Vibe, I asked what might happen if I took the classic hexcrawl game structure, Rob Connolly's revised Wilderlands of High Adventure hex maps, the dungeon fantasy role-playing game rules, Doug Cole's excellent Delvers to Grow quick character creation templates, and the forthcoming Nordland Bestiary. Well, the answer to that question began to unfold on Friday, February the 18th, 2022, an initial face-to-face session held at the Jack in the Box game store in Ripley, Derbyshire. Following the session, I recorded an entry to the GM's journal, my rambling stream of consciousness commentary, usually reserved for patrons of the Roleplay Rescue Patreon, and I thought you might enjoy hearing my initial reactions. The clip is 4 minutes and 50 seconds long, raw and unedited, but... I think, worthy of sharing. Here goes. 
Hey, it's Saturday morning about 7.30. I just wanted to quickly record a, a reflective bit after last night's game. Um, so I went over to Ripley to Jack in the Box store in Ripley, which is kind of cool. And we had a little alcove room and Leslie, Shani Andy and I uh, got in a game. So basically we started what is going to be my Wilderlands game. Um, it's an open table game playing with the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game which is obviously powered by GURPS. And it was great. We um, got us there about seven-ish, I suppose. And um, a little after seven, we're kind of in room and in, in place. Uh, it was, the guys were basically finished doing characters themselves, the designer characters, inside about 25 minutes using the Devils to Go card. Uh, they pulled out all the templates into cards and they were able to use those as quick reference things. So it took them maybe about 20, 25 minutes to to do the characters and note down everything on their sheet. Equipment, they kind of got into some discussion. They, they, we sort of had some basic packages, but they wanted to, they didn't have enough money to like buy out everything they wanted. So they started sort of just cherry picking a few things. So there's a little bit of time there they spent, but to be honest with you, I think the guys, the players were into that as well. So they were enjoying the, you know, sort of digging around, trying to figure out what they wanted. That took us about maybe another 10 or 15 minutes. And then we played for uh, three till 10, or just before 10, it was about 10 to 10, five to 10 when we sort of packed up. Um, so we're talking about two and a half hours, I suppose. So seven, eight, nine, two and, yeah, two and three quarter hours of game time, something like that. Um, and of that, about two hours straight a session. I ran a little dungeon as an int introduction for them. So that was the... Um, index card dungeon I put together a couple of weeks ago which I had originally intended to use at the school club um, I basically used that with them um, we put that into the town of Pell's Landing which is where I started them um, in the Wilderlands and they were sort of invited up at the temple where a, um, one of the brothers had fallen in the crypt below had basically gone through the floor and discovered this under crypt um, and they were being hired to sort of go and A, recover his body and B, go and map out the, the crypt below. So they've done that. They've, they they found a, um, a couple of difficulty in there. There's a, a door they haven't figured out how to open yet, um, and they found a portcullis, which leads some stairs going down, um, which the, you know they can't get past at the moment as well. So there's still more to explore down there if they want to. But they after... Um, Mouse, uh, played by Leslie, um, after she had basically um, been poking around this weird white sticky stuff on the floor, which has kind of seemed to be oozing out from under the wall in a passageway, um, which turned out when she sort of started poking it, she basically got a skull to try and scoop some of it up, this skull they'd taken from a crypt. I mean, you know, creepy. Um, and trying to scoop some of this stuff up, but it basically detonated and exploded, causing quite a lot of injury and burns. Um, so they discovered this sort of white, uh, explosive white mould down there. Uh, but they've also found some brownish mouldy stuff which gives off big choking spores. And Andy's uh, character, Tarkadal, who's the uh, bard, uh, had basically fallen into that twice um, and is quite sickened from it. So they decided to sort of withdraw from, from the uh, crypts and uh, recover. So... That being said, they managed to loot six um, sarcophagi, which they discovered had contained the bones of dwarves. Only one of them, um, kind of one of the restless dead there, a skeleton that rose up to sort of defend the crypt. But the other, 
all the other crypts were sort of rich with coin, really. They've come back with quite a lot of copper and silver coins, which they desperately need to re-equip themselves. And uh, yeah, I think a good time was had by all. I certainly have not felt that relaxed at a gaming table in a very long while. And it was it's very different. Face-to-face gaming, um, I've forgotten just how much easier it is in so many different ways. Um, and yeah, just much more easygoing as well. It was just so much fun. We were laughing and chuckling all night. They made they made me laugh so loud at a couple of points. It was just absolutely great. And I'd forgotten about all of that. So really, we're aiming to have another session in a couple of weeks. Um, going over to Ripley, 25-minute drive for me, it's not a problem at all. Um, car parking nearby isn't too bad. So whole thing, all in all, is, is very doable. And I'm looking forward to another session. So thanks, Andy. Thanks, um, Leslie. Game on. Inquisitor was a tabletop skirmish game set in the Warhammer 40,000 universe and played using 54mm miniatures on an open, non-gridded model terrain battlefield. It was heavily mission-based and focused on players creating and running a single heroic character. It was about as close as I ever got to the border between wargaming and role-playing game, and when it came out, I treated it more like an RPG than most people. The reason for treating Inquisitor like a role-playing game was simple. That was part of the intentional design of the game. I remember a particular conversation with Gav Thorpe and Andy Chambers in which the designers expressed the view that this game was aiming to channel the super detailed use of equipment, for example, lots of different guns and ammo, that was, in their view, the primary draw to role-playing games. The belief was, and was echoed in design conversations during the development of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, when I got involved in playtest for the second edition, the belief was that RPGs were basically man-to-man skirmish games with obsessive focus on equipment and detail. In other words, the way most people play RPGs, it was believed at GW, was by playing a character designed to take part in missions or adventures which always boils down to big fights. Channeling that desire for miniature battles in detail was one of the goals of Inquisitor. And that assertion has long stayed with me. For those of us who enjoy tabletop war games, you can see the logic. Skirmish war games with miniatures are popular and play fast. They are accessible and cost-effective too, given the price of metal or plastic miniatures. If you have a set of rules that can layer in the single character detail and make an exciting and fast-running battle game, you can appeal to skirmish wargamers and roleplayers alike. When Inquisitor came out, I was running a gaming club not far from here, and the game proved a fruitful bridge into role-playing games. In fact, at least three players at my pre-pandemic table in the years after Inquisitor were directly recruited from campaigns of that wargame. The single character doing missions attracted the narratively focused wargamers. It didn't take much to persuade them to try other role-playing games. It turned out that running and gunning with Inquisitor was a great doorway into the realm of RPGs. I've been thinking about running and gunning. What I'm talking about is running RPG games based around the idea of short, combat-focused missions. I'm talking about playing in under two hours as an interesting and exciting way to get a session with friends. 
I've been thinking about it because one of the two axes in the type of game that I want to play is easy access, the idea that you can get a player involved in a very short period of time. Running and Gunning is about fast-paced, man-to-man scale skirmish scenarios with a defined goal, but doing it with a role-playing game. In the manner of Inquisitor, there is a referee who runs a scenario, and the players could get involved either as opposing factions, or, as is more common with role-playing games, as a cooperative team against a third-party set of NPCs. I guess this is also about guns and about high-octane action, some kind of science fiction or even modern-day adventure. Gaming is varied, and it offers many different experiences, This particular experience is about the tactical combat situation and knocking about with tabletop miniatures or, in these more digital days, playing online with battle mats and tokens. It's an approach that pushes the challenge and tactile engagements pretty hard, but it also leaves plenty of room for expression in character and emergent narratives which have plenty of room, really, arising from high-stakes combat scenes. There is also in there space for discovery and fantasy in exploring the missions on offer in the game world. And as with all RPGs, a big appeal is also the fellowship between players. The trick here is in stringing together a mini campaign from a simple series of fights. In wargaming circles, this is the kind of thing that's been going on for decades. I mean, if we time travel back to the birth of role-playing games, we will see Braunstein. This was a skirmish war game scenario that kind of went horribly wrong, well at least according to David Wesley who refereed the game, but which was experienced by the players as a wonderfully innovative scenario. Wesley set up a series of characters within the fantasy town of Braunstein who each had objectives within the scenario. What was innovative was that the players could attempt anything and it quickly moved away from open combat and ended up with diplomacy-style shenanigans that entertained the players for hours. Wesley being in a completely separate room to kind of officiate this as the War Games referee was unaware of all the fun the other guys were having in the other room. For me, beginning with a skirmish mission combat game and allowing the RPG spirit of you can try anything, that's a rich combination for a good time. I remember games of Inquisitor that had similar outcomes to Braunstein. Combat became less emphasised as players began to find other, less aggressive means to solve their missions. But at heart, the premise of the game was a combat-oriented set of objectives. And I keep seeing this starting point throughout the history of RPGs. Let's talk about GURPS. Not everyone's cup of tea is a game system, but nonetheless, my current go-to, and a game with a history firmly in the skirmish wargaming camp. Before GURPS was the fantasy trip. The first TFT product was Melee, man-to-man fighting in an arena. You could also play Solo. It's a great game and a fabulous skirmish wargame, but when you add in Wizard, which gives you magical characters with spells, you get an even more challenging skirmish game. But when you add in Into the Labyrinth, you turn TFT into a fantasy role-playing game. And it was a very big hit in the late 1970s and early 1980s, until Steve Jackson left the company and set up his own. 1986 saw Steve Jackson Games publish the first edition of GURPS, the generic universal role-playing game. It began with the combat system called Man to Man. Scenarios were added as part of the suggested setting and development continued. Eventually, 
The basic set was released with rules for the fundaments of any genre role-playing, but my point is that GURPS began with a skirmish combat system at its heart, played on hexagon maps just as TFT had before it, because that was the culture of role-playing games back in the early days. From wargaming roots, these games evolved from combat towards ever more sophisticated narrative-generating systems. Dungeons & Dragons began with the dungeon game, you went into the gilded hole. You fought monsters and wrested their treasures from their still warm hands. Combat was central in those early campaigns. Even by the time we get to the third edition of D&D in 2000, the core of the game was organised around fighting. Fourth edition made this even more so. And I don't think that there is anything wrong with that. That's how I played for most of my gaming life, and it's been a lot of fun. Characters with motivation to go and have exciting fights over some goal they are pursuing is a staple of adventure and action stories, even outside of gaming. I mean, I'm looking at you, John Wick. Add in investigation and you get Jack Reacher. I hope you get my drift. In the end, my feeling is that this kind of play is widely popular, simple to set up and run, and very enjoyable. So why not play that way more often? A few weeks ago, I wrote a blog post entitled Full Tactical Mode. You can find it on roleplayrescue.com if you want to read it. The post is about an experience I had in a recent session of my Mr. campaign and how, during a tactical combat set up on Roll20, I noticed a shift in how I was playing. I have noticed that if you give me a tactical battle map, tokens or miniatures, and let me run or play out a fight, then I will slip often without realising it, into a different frame of mind. Let's call it skirmish mode, wherein I become focused on how to use the rules of battle to get the most effective outcome for the combatants. This stands in sharp contrast to when the map's tokens or miniatures are taken away. In descriptive mode, such as when running the Northern Isles game, wherein all the rules are behind the screen, I focus on the details of the emergent narrative, Every detail, second by second, gets amplified in my mind, and it's as if I'm in the scene. Role-playing is easier for me in this mode of experience because I am there in the imaginary moment, present in the character's perceptions, and deciding based on their needs and desires. And it's fair to say that my heart skips along happier when I am deep in the other world. As I reflected on this experience, I made an interesting observation. I said that there is nothing wrong with skirmish mode. The full tactical scene is replete with challenge and excitement as I try to milk the rules for all they're worth. But given a choice, I would choose the immersed descriptive mode any day. Of course, one provides for one's table and tries to give the players what they want. And that's what my players at that time wanted. But in making that judgment that I would prefer the descriptive mode over the skirmish mode, I am now not so sure. I think it depends on what we are turning up to experience, and I think it's about setting up my expectations as well as the expectations of the players whenever I'm running a game. I do enjoy tactical combat, I enjoy mission-based scenarios and fight scenes, and I enjoy the players' creativity in solving the challenges in those types of situations. 
When I think about the opportunity here, I realise that the military SF or investigative conspiracy horror games I keep hankering for probably suit this model better than the full immersion character focused game I am enjoying running with the Northern Isles. More than that, however, the open table run as a mission-based, combat-focused, military SF investigation into paranormal weirdness, for example, might be a highly intoxicating and exciting alternative game to the self-conscious, character-driven and deeply immersive fantasy. In other words, I am a multifaceted gamer and it would seem churlish, really, to deny myself and others that variety. Running and gunning sounds like it might be a lot of fun. However you cut it, combats are the basic game structure of role-playing games. Starting from that structure is not a bad idea, or a shallow game, or even something to sneer at. It's how the originators of our hobby began. Yes, we can play with more complex game structures, but we don't have to play with more complex structures if we don't choose to. When I think about getting some friends back to the face-to-face table, it seems to me that a good old-fashioned combat mission is as good a starting point as anything, and it's easier to set up than most things. I want to get away from my former snobbery about combat scenes. I also want to think more openly about the value of the top-down, map-based, miniature-using battle map. It's a different type of game to the theatre of the mind, but it's also more visceral and concrete. As one generous commentator Shelby on the Roleplay Rescue blog said, quote, If you want players to be able to make tactical decisions in a fight, they need to see the layout. A verbal description doesn't cut it. It has nothing to do with rules or exploiting them. Six people hearing a verbal description will have six different understandings of the situation. How can you play a group combat under those conditions? You don't know where you are. You don't know where your friends are. You don't know where the nearest exits are. You don't know if there's anything nearby you can hide behind, jump on or in or under. You don't know where the enemy is or who hit you or how many there are. You don't know if you have a line of sight for a missile attack, if there's any way to distract the enemy, or if you can sneak away. You don't know what's in your way if you want to run. You have nothing. That's not exploiting rules. It's making informed decisions, end quote. And the important statement Shelby makes is the opening line. If you want players to be able to make tactical decisions in a fight. Well thought out tactical play requires clarity. This in turn allows the players to make informed decisions. As I have said before many times, my longest running gaming engagement, the thing that gets me fired up in any game every time, is tactical combat. But it's not the only engagement I might choose. About an hour into that fight in my misdemeanor game, I noticed that I had stopped describing the scene. It was an effort to descriptively narrate the swings and blasts in the fight because in lots of ways, given the way Mithras plays, it felt unnecessary. It wasn't primarily why we were playing. Our key engagement was, at that moment, challenge. The challenge of tactical combat, of not getting the characters minced by the orcs and the goblins. We were, right then and there, at the war game roots of the role-playing game. But when a player decided to add some description back in, I noticed the difference this made to my experience of play. I loved it. I was jarred into the realisation that this kind of game wasn't what I had initially promised or expected for the campaign overall. The problem of slipping out of description is firstly only a problem if I believe it's a problem. 
The majority of the players didn't seem to mind that we were focused on the tactical challenge and we were happily crunching the game rules to their advantage. It was a textbook example of how tacticians, to use Robin Law's taxonomy of role players, how tacticians like things best when nothing really happens to their characters. They were having a fight, mostly not getting hurt, minimising the risks, maximising their characters' abilities and loving it. Perhaps the only person disappointed in that moment was me. But more than that, the problem of slipping out of description is easy to fix. Yes, we can enjoy the tactical aspects of combat, but you don't have to stop describing the cool stuff. Many wargamers enjoy the emergent tale they describe as the battle unfolds, so why shouldn't we? We can choose to add that flavour back in because it's pretty trivial, if only we take a beat and make the descriptive statement. The truth is simple. I enjoyed Inquisitor and I will most likely enjoy a good combat-oriented scenario in your role-playing game world too. Whether we use miniatures or not, the joy arises from meeting the challenge of the scenario with a you-can-try-anything mindset. Some games are indeed set up for the other big axis I enjoy in gaming, namely the deeply immersive world, but the desire for easy access gaming might be best served, at least in the first instance, by running an engaging combat scene. I find that tangible, token or miniature-based scenarios with combat as a central pillar of focus work well with new gamers, young gamers and returning gamers. Sure, not everyone likes a fight, but it's an easy way back into the hobby. It's the most simple game structure RPGs have to offer, and it's really easy to set up. And I guess for now, that's about what I've got to say about that. Thank you for listening. I hope that resonates with you. I'm wondering what we can do together to riff off this idea, and I'm pretty keen to find out. Game on. Hi, Che. Simon Williams here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I've just been listening to your episode, Playing by the Seat of Your Pants, and I wanted to give you a call-in. I think this hobby often attracts people who are, in some way, outsiders. I know that's the case for me. I've always felt like an outsider I've always felt like I think differently to other people and for me through the hobby I want to make a connection with others who are similar or or think similarly and and you said before that with the school club you often get sent to the kids who who don't fit in elsewhere and that really resonates with me because because I was one of those kids um, and one of those adults too and for me the fantasy is an escape from the world in which I I feel like an outsider and I don't have to be in the fantasy. And I know that when I'm struggling with things in real life, I tend to lean into the lean into the hobby a lot more. Um, you said before that um, you want Roleplay Rescue to be you know, creating a community of, of, of folk. And I really feel that. And that's one of the things I love about, about your podcast and about, about, the hobby itself is there there is a real sense of community and yeah so I, I really appreciate what you're doing love love the show really look forward to every episode I, I don't know why I haven't called him previously I think I you know I have imposter syndrome and I tend to think that people aren't interested in anything I've got to say but I've kind of put it out there now haven't I so there you go anyway thanks a lot cheers
Thank you, Simon, for your call. And thanks very much for your kind words. It's so generous of you to call in and give me that feedback. It's great. And yes, this is all about community. And I, I started this off with that desire to, you know, create the community of discovery in role playing games where we can feel accepted for who we are. Because like you, I never really felt like I fitted in outside of this kind of gaming community. And I've got to be honest, even recently, in lots of parts, the role playing game community has to me seemed more alien again so i guess i'm trying to gather people around me like-minded souls and hearts so i'm so glad that you feel that resonated with you as well and just wanted to say thank you really it is amazing when people call in i'm really grateful that you're listening to the show and really hope that you're enjoying it but um you know it means an awful lot when someone calls in with feedback so thank you be well game on And that's it for this week. Big thank you once again for showing up and listening. Roleplay Rescue is supported and funded by the generous contributions of patrons and I want to thank every single one of them. Your generosity keeps me going. Thank you. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can join the Patreon for $1 at patreon.com slash rpgrescue. All the contact details for the podcast are in the show notes. Finally, I'd like to say another big thank you to John from Tale of the Manticore for the theme music. And that, as they say, is a wrap. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.